This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. A terror attack in Times Square on New Year's Eve. It was an individual who tried to get to Times Square, was stopped at the police checkpoint, as everyone is who wants to enter Times Square during the New Year's celebrations. His back was about to be searched and he started to attack police officers with a machete. Dr. Hans Jacob Schindler, Senior Director of the Counter-Extremism Project, brings us the details. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Federal prosecutors on Tuesday, according to The New York Times, filed charges against a 19-year-old man from Maine, whom the authorities have portrayed as carrying out a jihad-inspired terrorist attack on three New York City police officers near Times Square on New Year's Eve. State prosecutors said last week that that man, Trevor Bickford, had told investigators after he was arrested that he had come to New York to kill people and carry out jihad. On Tuesday, federal prosecutors said Mr. Bickford had planned the assault and investigators had interviewed him weeks before it occurred. We get more on what took place that night from Dr. Hans Jacob Schindler, senior director at the Counter-Extremism Project. It was a classic lone actor attacks, as far as we can tell so far, what we know um, from the information that has come to light so far. It was an individual who tried to get to Times Square, was stopped at the police checkpoint, as everyone is who wants to enter Times Square during the New Year's celebrations. His back was about to be searched and he started to attack police officers with a machete, um, really hit one with a machete, hit another one with the handle of the machete and wanted to hit another one who then shot him in the shoulder. The individual is in custody. As far as I understand, he had been known and to the security forces as a radicalizing individual, was also interviewed and since has expressed further that he wants to join the Taliban in Afghanistan as such and in at his uh, uh, hospital bed right now. So classic lone actor attack, one guy trying to do something spectacular Luckily, in this case, getting stopped by the police and not getting into anywhere near big crowds of of civilians. Hans, this individual, I believe his name was Trevor Bickford, and he's 19 years old and is he, he was known to police. I think you said that. Um, what do you draw from, you know, the, the fact that he is an American, um, born and raised here, seems young person and known to authorities. What do, what do those three data points tell you? Look, I mean, first of all, these days, lone actors are potentially men because you cannot have every single individual constantly under observation and surveillance. And even then, as a case in Australia showed last year, 
you may not be, pre be preventing a terror attack of that simplicity, simply a knife or in this case a machete that he had in his backpack. But it also showed that you know things work if you give security to large-scale public events like the New Year celebrations in Times Square. These do actually prevent these kind of attacks. It also shows that radicalization is a particular problem when it comes to young people or people who have a crisis in their life, as seems to be the case in both cases in this individual who you know may have even spent the last night before the attack in a homeless shelter in New York because he really does have some financial problems. And then radicalizing ideologies, whether this in this case Islamist ideology or extreme violent right-wing ideologies, then give orientation to these kind of individuals and makes it much easier for them to radicalize. And it really is important to understand that nowadays any terroristic success or any big narrative that comes out of terrorist propaganda, whether it's out of Africa or out of Afghanistan or other places, will reverberate around the world. Because, you know, we are an interconnected society. This individual may or may not have looked at uh, a particular ISIL call, uh, Islamic State call to a conduct attack over New Year's. But he certainly consumed a lot of radicalizing material online. That is clear. So one more thing about this suspect, um, you know, his age. You know, a lot of people, and this is true, I think, um, young people have trouble you know, sometimes very well di distinguishing between what's right and what's wrong. And, and sometimes age has a lot to do with it because of the, the factors that are that press press on young people. Um, and, and ISIS and terror groups know this. Is that not right? Yes. I mean, first of all, I would say there are a lot of older people also have a problem distinguishing right and wrong. Just look at the age range on January 6th in front of the Capitol. But obviously, young people are a particular vulnerable target and terrorist organizations, in particular, those with sophisticated propaganda machines. So that's the big ones. That's the Taliban. That's ISIL. That's Al Qaeda. That's Hamas, Hezbollah, <coughs> have particular uh, propaganda that they really target towards the youth, trying to insinuate in this case that you cannot live as a proper Muslim in a Western society or in a pluralistic democratic society that is somewhat ungodly and that your only way to God to become a true Muslim is to uh, conduct, fight a jihad, an actual jihad, uh, uh, i.e. violence against those societies. Yeah. So, um, and, and you believe that, that, that basically ISIS has put out messaging saying this should, something should happen on, on this day or around this time. And you believe that this individual... Uh, as well as others, perhaps, um, took heed to that? Well, this connection has not yet been established. So it's clear that he had consumed a lot of uh, extreme Islamist material online, and he has said so as well, um, that he has sympathies for the Islamic State and the Taliban, which is a really peculiar combination in my mind, because they're actually oppositional in Afghanistan. But whether he'd seen this particular ISIS call that they put out for pretty much every major event around the globe, that, you know, true Muslims should do something um, uh, when, when this happens, uh, that is yet to be established, that he watched that particular ISIS video. But even if he hadn't seen that, um, the, the general message that the Islamic State has put out consistently since 2017 is 
do not travel to Iraq or Syria. We need you where you are. And you should, within your capabilities, should do whatever you can. And then there is variations of this where they try to motivate, in particular, people or small cells to do something, give them guidance, give them instructions on how to do this. But this seems to be the case where they were simply hoping that the message that they put out motivates individuals to come up with something themselves. And this should, you know, it seems to be this was the case here. Yeah. You know, um, the global connection between sympathizers, terrorist sympathizers and these these organizations seems to me to be a lot stronger than we maybe even think it is. And, you know, I think we for a while have thought that maybe we're over the hump, if you will, when it comes to terrorism and have maybe been looking at other things. I know, I know that the U.S. has taken this turn towards what it calls the great powers conflicts, et cetera. And resources, I believe, have been moved away from the terror fight. But that I'm wondering about the the the, the soundness of that logic at this point. Yeah, I mean, this is something that is really important to me and my organization, the Counter Extremism Project, to point out that, yes, the great power competition is a very, very important political topic. This is actually what can bring down our countries, our systems. Terrorism, in the way that we experience it right now, apart from right-wing extremism, has the potential if it would grow unchecked in the next couple of years. But Islamist terrorism has nowhere near the capacities to bring America down or a European country down. It can, however, um, inflict a lot of damage through even lone actor attacks. And a steady stream of those will have the cumulative effect of a large-scale complex attacks like we saw them in, in past years. What we have done um, in the last, I would say, five to six years, but particularly since 2021, is we have withdrawn as an international community, the US, but also the Europeans, from some of the key areas where terrorism is happening these, year, uh, these days, from Afghanistan, but also the French withdrawal and the European reduction in activities in West Africa. We have a resurgence of Al-Shabaab in East Africa. We have new ISIS provinces in uh, Central Africa. All of these places, terrorism continues to happen. And if you look at the world, through the lens of a terrorist sympathizer, then the last two years were by no means a story of defeat or withdrawal. It was a story of success. Yes, of course, Al-Qaeda lost Savahiri. ISIS lost multiple of its khalifs. However, they have won essentially in their mind in Afghanistan against the entire international community. They have won against the French and the European forces in West Africa. So terrorism looks very, very, very successful in various reiterations around the globe for these sympathizers. And these people do not just consume news about America, the radicalizing, the, the material comes from all over the world. And both Al-Qaeda, as well as the Taliban, as well as um, uh, the Islamic State, put out their propaganda in multiple languages, always, however, also in English. So it's easy for them to consume this kind of material and get the impression that they're actually winning. Now, there is a lot better counterterrorism cooperation than there was 20 years ago. There's better cooperation between governments. There's better data exchange between intelligence services, between airlines, between banks and financial institutions, between customs authorities. So it's harder to plan this large-scale event. But we have produced one really central element, which in my mind was key 
to preventing a large-scale long-term planned attack like we saw in 9-11 or in Madrid or in London um, or at Bataclan in 2015. We've taken off the foot of the pedal that puts executive pressure in the operational areas of the terrorists. Yeah. We need to have resources and capacities there, which we simply no longer have because we've withdrawn. And so out of area can do much, but it's not the same as making sure that Al-Qaeda and Islamic State uh, uh, terrorists feel hunted every single day, <laughs> which prevents them from planning. Yeah. You said, as we were preparing for this interview, that this reminds you a lot of what took place in the 1990s. Would you explain what that means? Look, I mean, if you... Think back on the 1990s, right? So we had uh, Palestinian terrorism really no longer be an issue because we had the, uh, the Oslo agreements. We had the Good Friday agreements. So IRA in Europe was no longer really an issue. They were now integrating. So there was this feeling, is terrorism still relevant? State-sponsored terrorism from the Soviet Union side, finished, Carlos and, and these kind of uh, reiterations of that kind of terrorism. Is terrorism really an issue? And is it not just a nuisance that just happens? You know, every once in a while we'll see an attack, but nothing really of significance. And it's relegated <laughs> to places that are far away and very weird, like Afghanistan, Pakistan. These places were really a little understanding of what was going on, was really seen. And we collectively as government seem to have underestimated that we saw a complete new formation of global terrorism under the label of Al-Qaeda, with absolutely a new brand new ideology, like the Islamic State is now, um, with a new ambition to attack us at home, not just our interest in foreign countries. And we missed that because we simply didn't look. Now, we're still looking, but I have the feeling that with the great power competition, the war in Ukraine, our attention gets diverted. And counterterrorism over the horizon is not necessarily cheaper than counterterrorism with boots on the grounds because you need intelligence assets, you need language assets, you need electronic assets in order to understand because you're no longer talking to your sources who only have to travel 10 minutes to meet you as you've done the last 20 years. And I think we have not yet recognized that, yes, we are relieving the pressure on our political system by withdrawing our soldiers and therefore no longer occurring direct casualties, but we need to substitute this with a much increased intelligence capability, which takes time, money, and expertise to build and then also to maintain. And we cannot say, okay, terrorism, tick, we wait until the next big attack, because that's what we are encouraging to have happen if there is now operational space for Al-Qaeda, both in Afghanistan, but also in West Africa, if you think about the situation in some of the countries like Burkina Faso, where Al-Qaeda linked uh, uh, Jinim, which is a coalition of Al-Qaeda groups, is running nearly half the country. Uh, yeah. This is a really bad operational uh, preparation area, and it will only be a matter of time before this translates into greater ambitions than just regional ambitions, because that's the second mistake that we thought uh, was would be the case and would make us safe, is that these groups would look at Afghanistan, Pakistan, maybe Iran or Central Asia, but they wouldn't really think about attacking us at home. Well, we made that mistake before. Yeah. One last thing. Um, what do we in the U.S. take from what happened on New Year's Eve with Trevor Bickford in in, in Times Square? And 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 what what do you think uh, should be done about it? <laughs> Look, as I said, 
equally to the tragedy of the event and the sadness of the, the, the hurt policeman, it also showed that security worked. So you can no longer have big gatherings without adequate security. And hopefully no one thinks about reducing this in any time soon. Um, but it also, again, demonstrated that we are facing at this point a different variant of terrorism threats. That's individuals and small cells, which are much harder to find, much more difficult to monitor, not because they are unfindable, but because there are so many potentials and you never really ultimately know which ones of the potential radicalized individuals that you're looking at is the one who then finally makes the decision to do something. So it does require a much deeper understanding of what's going on in information space. And I sound like a broken record every second time I talk to you, right? Uh, I'm coming to the same point. We cannot let the tech industry off the hook that easily. They have to be part of the first line of defense. They're having this data on their platforms. They cannot longer wait until law enforcement sees something. They need to proactively monitor, proactively report, and proactively review, uh, 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 take this uh, material off their platforms. So at least to prevent further damage that this material would do if it stays on the platform. None of this is really happening to a great extent in America more than in Europe, where it's really still a standoffish position from those tech companies. But it will have to happen more and more, and it will have to happen more than just in America and Europe. It needs to have the same kind of attitude when it looks to the Middle East, when it looks to South Asia, when it looks to Asia, where this stuff is generated. So the tech industry, like the financial industry does for the last 20 years, really has to be an active participant in this. Hans Jacob Schindler, Senior Director at the Counter-Extremism Project. Thank you for your insight today. Thank you so much. This is a Target USA moment, episode 40. For Grace Joe's family, 1998 was the last straw. My grandmother, my bro younger brothers, um, they all passed away because of starvation. For six-year-old Grace and her younger brother, the food situation was extremely dire. My younger brother and I was were almost like uh, 10 days starved straight. Uh, we only drank uh, cold water and uh, there's no meal we can find. The public farms, um, we cannot find any small potatoes from the farm because other people, they already like found them. And um, the winter time, we can find like wood to burn and keep house warm. We don't have any food, we don't have any money, and there's no way we can make money either. They had to find a way out of North Korea. We uh, walked a lot, and uh, we crossed the river by swimming, and uh, we also climbed the mountain. This has been a Target USA moment, episode 40. Download it, relive it. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, the stunning attack on Brazil's capital by election deniers. There was a bit of a surprise. I don't think we were expecting this kind of uh, event. Rodrigo Chia, a transparency activist in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil. 
though we did uh, follow the U.S. script for the last two years, you know, like questioning elections and uh, always uh, questioning uh, democratic uh, institutions and so on. But as everything was was uh, kind of normal in the last week or the last 10 days, we're not expecting such a thing. It all evolved very quickly in the last two, two or three days. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.